Welcome to Checkmates Go, Season 2, Episode 10. I'm once again talking with Ray Shippers and Tim Otis from the Checkpoint Incident Response Team. And we talk about an investigation that led to the APT-41 malicious campaign. And we talk about something that this campaign uses, which is a we call living off the land, using the tools that already exist on a system that is compromised for malicious activities. We'll start off with Ray talking about the investigation. Yeah, so we recently completed a uh, investigation uh, in the Asia-Pacific region um, where the uh, organization, a manufacturing company, was compromised through their uh, managed engine central desktop management uh, service. So the threat actor compromised that uh, remotely. They then moved laterally throughout the network. So they jumped, used the manage, manage engine to uh, as a backdoor and then they started moving laterally throughout uh, the rest of the network. It's very similar to FireEye's APT41 report. What's interesting t- for us is that the uh, indicators um, bet- uh, overlap with that, but also overlap with the recent Palo Alto uh, Unit f- uh, 42 Speculose case. So we actually have some of the same C2 infrastructure from that, which uh, Palo Alto also said was uh, Unit 42 from memory. What was really interesting, though, in this case was the outcome of the case. Whilst we definitely uh, believe it's likely files were taken and uh, data was accessed by by the threat actor, at the end, they ransomed the network, which is quite unusual for these state-sponsored style attackers. Uh, They typically don't uh, do that uh, always, Uh, and it's definitely not something a recorded activity of this uh, unit before. What was also really interesting in this case is just uh, how thorough a thorough job uh, the attacker did moving laterally, trying to stay hidden. So they installed services and they called all the services they installed the same names as Windows, for example. So it would have been very hard for a, a normal kind of sysadmin to identify what was going on, to understand what was going on, without looking at the much larger picture and kind of having all of the threat intelligence to a system. So it was a very interesting investigation that uh, showed, A, the need not to kind of expose to the internet your management infrastructure, uh, because you can end up having a pretty bad day if there's a zero day uh, or a recently exploited vulnerability like this. But it also showed, again, that why you need to limit admin access, all the things that we've discussed in previous podcasts about, you know, rocking down Active Directory, all of those types of wonderful things, because you know, as soon as one defense falls, you don't want uh, the rest of your network to be the soft GUI center that they can just run around in. Yeah, it's certainly exposing all of your admin stuff to the internet is you're always going to have a bad day doing that. Um, and you want to have some sort of, you know, remote access system in place that enable that is encrypted and is not available to everybody that has some sort of multi-factor authentication uh, and it tunnels everything through. Uh, because certainly, um, you know, leaving those ports open, it's really obvious what's there, right? I mean, that's because I mean, you look at Shodan. Uh, there's a. I actually, actually had a. So I had a customer that that was upset that some vendor out there had uh, that had had put an API to basically public information, right? And you know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, well, this is this is just uh, this is public information. Even if we say that this site is bad and you shouldn't go to it. 
what's going to prevent this site from existing or other people from compiling the same information? So, um, the, the, and you know, the, the many, the most, the more skates you can put in, right. It, it's, I think it's going to, it's going to help these sorts of things. And yes, exposing your admin and infrastructure to directly to the internet is probably a bad thing. This is a tactic that you don't normally see with this particular threat group. Uh, do you have any insight as to maybe why they were taking those approaches versus, uh, the ones that they normally take? We suspect it could be counter forensics because um, the ransomware they deployed was actually just a normal standard open source crypto software that they then encrypted files with, left the ransom note behind on the PC, uh, which was almost a copy paste uh, of another threat actor's ransom note uh, from uh, much earlier in the end year, in, uh, in early January. And then on top of that, they also bit-lockered uh, so use Microsoft's full disk encryption on most of the servers. They went off and enabled that on the actual PC through the command line from all indications. And doing it through the command line means you don't have a central backup key to restore the disk from. Only the person who encrypted the drive typically has the key. So again, it's a nice way of uh, effectively ransoming a, a machine with BitLocker because you have the key. Um, the customer don't, and if they want to reverse the full the full disk encryption, uh, that you have they have to get the key off off the attacker, or in this case, the attacker uh, would obviously never give it to them, and uh, they've lost all the data. And it's a good counter forensics technique. It uh, means that if you reboot the dro- the system, you never uh, you're never getting access to the logs anymore. No open source decryptors available to BitLocker. No. <laughs> Well, not only that, it's like it's a tool that exists at everybody's Windows PC. So if if you if you get if somebody gets access to your system, then they can do whatever they whatever's on the system they have access to. And yeah, I, I never thought of that. Yeah, you could potentially use BitLocker with you know with you know with a uh, um, PowerShell or whatever. You could actually uh, uh, script access to uh, to you, to encrypt the drive, and then you leave all the tools. Um, you know, the tools are there, and you just and you just take the key and remove it and. You know, and then and then somebody tries to get access to the system, and lo and behold, uh, they can't because uh, uh, you know it's encrypted with a legitimate system. It's not you know it's not just some random thing. So you, by the way, you know it's QA'd, you know it works. Uh, it's widely deployed. Um, that's very clever, and it's and that's um, you know a lot of times that's why uh, you you dis- you, you it, if these things exist in the system, you should use them because if you don't, then somebody else might use them that has uh, uh, th- that doesn't have your good intentions in, in, in mind. It's effectively living off the land ransomware. Like uh, the threat actors typically, you know, move around laterally inside the network with tools that are already there, PowerShell and PS exec and things that are already on in play. And BitLocker, like we were just saying, you know, is on every machine. And if I can just make a unique key per host, and that's all I really have to script. And then the rest is magic and already living there. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think what, you know, that's why you really want to protect access to your system as much as you can, because once they get on anything on that system is put, even if you don't have, uh, 
permission initially when you get in, right? It's like, okay, I got access to the system. Now I can elevate my privilege because privilege escalation is usually one of the easier uh, exploits available. Once you do that, then you can, then yeah, you can do all this stuff. And it's, uh, and, and it's really hard to defend against because, you know, you don't even have to transfer anything. You just have to have the knowledge or, or, you know, a script or something to be able to say, okay, well, here's the, um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do this, and that's. I, I it never actually occurred to me that that was actually a way to ransomware a system. Yeah, it's nice a yeah. yeah, yeah, it's an interesting technique that they used. Interesting technique, and yeah, in this case as well, they weren't after directory after Active Directory. So uh, even if they uh, had the key in a central location, uh, Windows stores normally in AD. Yeah, they just wipe AD uh, as they uh, did in this case, and then. Uh, yeah, you, you lose the recovery keys anyway. So it was a very, very good, interesting technique. Uh, not one we'd seen before. So are there other, are there other similar techniques you've seen? We talk about living off the land, so to speak. Uh, what what kinds of uh, what other kinds of attacks have you seen where they've been able to use a tool to uh, uh, well against the host? There's a number of things where if a domain user is accidentally an administrator. Which happens a lot in AD, like groups of groups of groups can accidentally be, I could just be a domain user, but accidentally and not knowing it, my account could also be a domain admin or domain admin creds could be left around in files and or brute forced. But a lot of times with living off the land attacks, uh, one of the first ones I personally worked and we still see it all the time is if, if things like PowerShell logging aren't properly enabled in the environment, we can, we can see PowerShell activity on a lot of machines, but we don't, we sometimes can't tell exactly what it did. Uh, newer versions of Windows and stuff have a lot cooler logging around PowerShell and stuff, but, um, uh, using these, these, one domain admin credential, whether by hook or by crook or accidentally, accidentally a domain admin, whatever, and PowerShell in the environment, it's kind of all a threat actor needs nowadays to live off the land, move around, survey AD, and do other reconnaissance stuff. The other common gotcha we see is is uh, is the same local admin password everywhere. We've had a number of cases now where the local admin password is the same. Uh, so they just need to grab the hash off one machine and they can just jump from machine to machine. Uh, that's another gotcha we run into a lot. It seems to me that you, that each machine that connects to your domain should have a unique local admin password. Of course, maintaining that's probably a pain in the butt, but uh, uh, but that's what you need to do. Because, yeah, once you compromise one machine, it makes it easy to compromise other machines. And so, that's a, so yeah, you, obviously you have to do something to uh, mitigate that, and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in these living off the land attacks, so one of the things that occurs to me that organizations can do to um, mitigate these sorts of attacks is to limit the tools that are available to live off, not installing things that aren't necessary. Um, you know, lim- you know it, it, we, we talk about hardening, let's say, you know, the the uh, the guy operating system, for example, that, that Checkpoint uses. It's a it's a it's a stripped down Linux. And so we've taken out things from the operating system that absolutely are not necessary. And, um, you know, it could potentially be used for for malicious things or or, or just it's, it's it, you know, it, it it's we, we talk about reducing our attack surface and, and so on. Right. And this is uh, that's what we that's what you do. Right. Is you want to try to reduce the attack surface and reduce the tools available 
So if you create a very limited environment that somebody can get into, um, there may not be anything for them to live off of. Right. So if you, so um, yeah, if you leave more things around, obviously that doesn't seem like a, uh, you know, that, that could potentially harm you down the road. And this is one way that happens. Definitely. Yeah. And to that end, uh, the latest version of windows server, for example, by default, uh, installs, uh, without really a GUI. But most admins still always feel the need, despite, you know, all their own admin tools out there, even from Microsoft today, that Microsoft provides for free. Uh, they still feel the need to, you know, RDP onto a box. And so they will still select the install me a GUI option. Uh, and without the GUI, you know, it significantly cuts down the code. It significantly cuts down your exposure and reduces what is on the actual box. So that would help a lot. And yeah, definitely turning off unused services, uh, removing code, you know, removing systems you don't need. Uh, and it's also amazing how many just infrastructure we see left lying around from customers, uh, either on the internet or internally inside of a network that they don't know what it does. They're not quite sure why it's there anymore, but it's not broken. So let's just leave it and don't look at it and pretend it doesn't exist. And hopefully nothing ever happens. And hopefully nobody ever uses it to cause issues. Use BitLocker. I mean, it doesn't hurt you to use BitLocker. Mm-mm. I mean, we suggest this anyway, right? I mean, data protecting data at rest. I mean, granted, if the system's running, it doesn't really provide any protection. But if somebody walks off with the system and powers it off or whatever, that's you know, it's one of those things that can protect against physical attacks. But it seems to me you should almost enable it as a defensive mechanism, just in case. Because if it's not enabled, and then somebody gets into the system, they can enable it, and bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's definitely worth, uh, especially for more remote infrastructure, to always do it. Um, and people, you know, always say, well, it's in a data center. It's safe. Well, talk to the Australian, uh, customs agency about that, who ha- had physically had their service stolen from them and a data center in Sydney airport a few years ago. Uh, that was quite a, uh, interesting, very brazen attack against, uh, the Australian customs authorities. Uh, but also, yeah, as you said, you know, bad things can happen, but that could just also be a good alert to have in your seam as well. Like, Hey, is somebody enabling? BitLocker somewhere. Uh, let's find out about it. Uh, but yeah, full disk encryption, I think, in, in most cases is probably worthwhile. Uh, we've had many customers where they'll do it on laptops because laptops are portable. Uh, they refuse to do it on their desktops, uh, but then they have their office broken into, a whole series of desktops stolen, and now they have a data loss incident because they're not encrypted. And nowadays we have thousands of desktop machines. I have several friends during COVID-19, you know, that have taken desktop machines home, like from their office. They took the desktop, the monitor, the mouse and the keyboard home to do their work at home. And uh, suddenly a desktop machine that was designed to be in an office in a lot behind a badge and pin kind of security is now in somebody's living room. And yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, laptops for sure, desktops definitely, and and even like Ray and I practice in our own lab, right? Yeah, machines that uh, when we when we can FDE it, we do, even if it's in a data center. Yeah, and honestly, the performance 
impact of that is not nearly what it used to be because mm-hmm. i remember what it used to be there was there was a little bit of a performance impact doing that nowadays i i you know the, the encryption that's used is built into the processors um it's it's fast it's you know you're not going to notice it it's honestly the, the, there's no reason not to do it and 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 leverage it and uh yeah and it's also something that you can manage and, and take you know and, and yeah having operating system level support for it is also uh is also key right i mean i know for example on on you know on Mac OS, it's built into the operating system in such a way that really even third party FDEs can't operate anymore. And and honestly, you know, it's it's a, it's one of these technologies that's been around a long time. And you know, we know how to we know how to do it and and not you know not to wreck a device. So why not use it and why not leverage it? And it, it's you know it's again it's it, it's one of those uh, physical security things more than anything else. But the cost of doing it and, and actually the cost of not doing it seems to be much higher than it is to do it, it you know, at least my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, but just on your chip, Tim, about like people taking desktops home, I think one of the interesting kind of um, outcomes from this whole COVID-19 will be that we find we wake up on the other side and we have a lot of data everywhere. We don't know where it is anymore. And I think it's going to be a huge challenge for a lot of organizations to find it all back, hoover it back all up and, and move it all back in house. I've heard more than one story from friends who say, I couldn't access the doc on our company share that they gave us over Citrix. So I emailed it to myself on Gmail and I edited the doc in Google Docs and then I exported it back to Excel and sent it back to myself at work. Like, the, like data, not only like machine containment, data containment, what, what, where is the data gone in these, you know, in this time? It, yeah, it's, I, I, absolutely right, Ray. There, there's going to be a big mess on the other side regarding that. And uh, one of the other really uh, fantastic things uh, during the case was uh, our work with the Checkpoint Research Team, CPR. They did a fantastic job reversing. Uh, all the malware that we found, uh, that our analysts found during their case, uh, and help definitely help us build up the complete picture of what happened. Uh, and I definitely believe uh, they got something in the pipe as well, talking about uh, this case a little bit further and more in-depth from their side of view and all the hard work they did reverse engineering it. Yeah, we definitely got some great people in the the uh, on that team. They they uh, they're very good at uh, that uh, doing that kind of stuff and, and and understanding what's happening. And, and it's yeah, it's 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 as much art as it is science, right? Because you have to understand what they were thinking. And 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 when you look at something, you kind of go, oh, well, this is what it, this is what I what was seeing and why I saw it and everything. And yeah, it's very amazing what they're uh, what they're able to find out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Checkmates Go. You can subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can also send us feedback via email at checkmates at checkpoint.com. Thanks for listening.